Okay, here we go. I'll put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the owner. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. In reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're back now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. We are so happy to have you joining us for this episode. We are going to jump right into it. We are continuing our full 30-team NBA offseason review series, and we're going to focus this episode on the Boston Celtics. We talked about the Atlanta Hawks in our last episode, so go back and listen to that one if you're interested. The Hawks had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of guys left, a lot of guys in, and Boston's very much in the same place, just in a uh, different direction for the franchise. Joining me today is my buddy Pete Toll. Um, a couple of people asked, like, who, who is Pete? What does he do? The, the people who don't already know him. Um, I'm just going to say he's an independent scouting guy. We'll, we'll leave it at that. He does a lot of scouting um, on the NBA, so he knows his stuff. So when he tells you, you know, this guy does this, that he knows his stuff with that. So we'll leave it there. Is that fair, Pete? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. Better than I could have put it. I would have had a longer, <laughs> all over the place kind of analysis. But yeah, that's perfectly said. Yeah, my uh, my dad taught me a long time ago the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. So we gotta try to stick to that one. So, um, like I said, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna review the Boston Celtics. If you have not listened to the Atlanta Hawks episode, or if you're a Celtics fan, I know a lot of my followers are Celtics folks due to my um, writing and work with Celtics blog. Um, what we do is we're going to talk every guy who left, every guy who's come in, ask a couple key questions, and kind of give you a picture of where they are. And then Pete and I will both talk, are they better or worse than last year in terms of are they, they stock up, stock down, and we'll go through that. So we're going to dive right in and get into it. And the first guy on the list, boy, this one's a little sad for me. <laughs> this one bums me out some. Uh, so Pete, you might have to do some consoling here. But Avery Bradley is no longer a Boston Celtic. He was traded to the Detroit Pistons for Marcus Morris. We'll talk about Morris and what he brings to the Celtics a little bit later in the show. But Bradley out, um, it was a uh, necessary evil. It had to happen. The Celtics had to clear cap space to sign Gordon Hayward to a max deal. They did not have enough by just letting everybody else go. They were going to have to make a trade, and Bradley went. But, Pete, what I want to ask you is, what are the Celtics going to miss most? most from Bradley on the court. And then I'll talk about the off-the-court um, salary cap implications and those things after. But on the court, what are they going to miss from Avery Bradley? 
on the court is a plus defender. I mean, arguably he's their best defender, well, was their best defender on the team, um, you know, for the past few seasons. And, and with Bradley, he just brings toughness. He can knock down shots on the offensive end. Um, you know, great locker room guy as well. So all around, they're, they're, it's a really sore spot, I think, obviously for you and, and and many Boston fans. But like you said, it was a necessary evil. Yeah, you know, I wrote a thing for Celtics Blog when Bradley knocked down that game winner against the Cavs, the only game the Celtics won in the Eastern Conference Finals. I uh, wrote a thing for Celtics Squad talking about how Bradley had become our guy. You know, and, and, and we, we do this as fans, right? We we have these guys who come in as rookies, and they're, they're, they're okay, but they're not really that great. And then we watch them develop and grow and turn into, you know, our player. And as other players kind of come in around them and those kind of things, we, we like those guys too, but we always have that guy that we attach to. And Bradley had really kind of become that for the Celtics. Um, I'm with you. They're going to miss his on-ball defense. Um, he worked well with Isaiah Thomas because he would take the – better um, guard in the backcourt of the two players and would be the guy who would often defend that player and allow the Celtics to really hide Thomas a little bit. Um, he is also a much underrated shooter. Um, people don't give him the credit. He really has developed himself into a quality shooter with, with the way he comes off screens as well as just spot-up shooting. Not great off the bounce, not a great playmaker, you know, never was that. He's, you know, still a little undersized. It doesn't really hurt him on the defensive end, but it does hurt him sometimes on the offensive end. But, you know, he's definitely going to miss. And I said I would talk to salary cap implications. Well, the deal for the Celtics was Bradley, um, Isaiah Thomas, and Marcus Smart are all scheduled to be free agents. And those three guys are all um, backcourt players. And all three are going to be looking at very healthy contract increases next year. The, the three of them were on some of the better deals in the league this year. So it was very unlikely as the Celtics bring in Gordon Hayward on a max contract, they have Al Horford on a max contract, that they were going to be able to pay all three of those players. So that makes it, you know, a decision of someone had to go. A lot of people were beating the Jay Crowder drum. He needs to be the guy who gets traded. He needs to go out of town. But Crowder is locked into one of the best deals in the NBA, still four and handful of years. I believe it's another three seasons. So this year plus two more. At, and it doesn't even top out until 2019-20. It's $7.8 million. So for a guy who's a starter or at the very least a high-end bench guy, that's a great contract. So he wasn't going to be the one who's traded. So that's why Bradley went. He was due the new contract. He's a little older. He's had a fairly lengthy injury history. He's missed time in most of his seasons with various injuries. Um, so I think that might have factored into it a little bit. But Avery Bradley gone from the Boston Celtics and moving on to the next guy on the list is Gerald Green. So Green, is he's, he's not technically gone yet, but the Celtics did have to renounce his free agent rights. He is a um, free agent still on the market. Probably not coming back to Boston as they have, they have a very full roster, which we'll get into with the guys who came in. But Green is one of those guys who, at this point, he's probably a minimum contract guy. He can shoot, play a little bit of defense, um, good locker room guy. He's very well liked by all his teammates everywhere he's ever been. But what do you think Celtics lost with Gerald Green moving on? Um, just a little bit of energy off the bench as far as scoring, shooting, um, giving an electric dunk or two. Obviously, he's not the uh, dunker he was when he had the birthday cake dunk and or the cupcake or whatever it was in the dunk contest a few years ago. But 
Um, it was kind of funny to me that I, I looked at Gerald Green's stats and I was like, wow, he's 31 years old. Like, it's crazy because I remember when he came into the league just young and raw, and um, now he's looked at kind of like a more on the veteran side of things. And I actually thought that uh, before the Celtics started filling up the roster that he might have ended up being brought back as a minimum guy just kind of to help mentor some of the young uh, backcourt. But um, I think he gets a shot, like you said, on a minimum contract somewhere else. But, um, you know, Celtics have a a lot of – you know, good players elsewhere that, that'll um, ease the loss of Gerald Green for sure. Yeah, a team that should be signing Gerald Green is the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, if they can make that work, they need wing depth. Green can provide it. He you know, would be a solid guy for them to have. Um, can play both. Um, can really play anywhere from the two through four if you want to go extremely small. Um, still a solid player. And like you said, yeah, now he's a, he's no longer that young pup. He is now a, a grizzled NBA veteran at this point in his career. So next guy the Celtics lost this one was also fairly inevitable was Demetrius Jackson. Now the way the Celtics did this one, though, was was kind of interesting. Jackson was owed a little over $600,000 for his guaranteed amount on his second year of his NBA contract. So what the Celtics ended up doing was they picked up his third-year team option, which then converted that contract into a fully non-guaranteed year for that year, and then that allowed them to stretch the cap hit for Jackson of 650000 I believe, or so it was, they were able to stretch that cap hit over seven years. How the stretch provision works is, is now we're getting into our educational component of the show, is you are allowed to stretch any owed money twice the number of years left on the contract plus one year. So by the Celtics picking up the team option before they stretched Jackson, what that did was that made it a three-year contract. So three times two plus one is seven years. So you split that evenly. So that puts a $92,858 cap hit on the Celtics cap sheet for the 2017-18 season. And then at $92,857, it was an auto amount, so you put a dollar somewhere. Um, that'll be on the Celtics cap sheet for the remainder of the next six years, as that's how they use the stretch provision. Jackson has now caught on with the Houston Rockets. He has signed a two-way contract. I had a lot of questions on Twitter of, like, does this take that money off the Celtics books? It does not. It remains on the Celtics uh, cap sheet unless there was there's this process called set-off. Um, which allows teams to, if a player signs for some money, it removes a portion of the cap hit. But it only does it at the very end of the season as they're figuring out the luxury tax payments and those kind of things. So so the Celtics, that's a very long way of saying they're not going to get any cap relief from Jackson being waived here. So, um, But, Pete, what, Jackson, what, what did you see in him? Because I'm curious of a non-Celtics fan's point of view on Demetrius Jackson. Not much. Uh, only played in in what, five games all season for the big club. Um, basically played in Maine majority of the season. To me, um, I personally don't see him as an NBA player. Just doesn't do anything exceptionally well. I mean, perfect compliment for a guy that would be, you know, a G League player, um, you know, more overseas-esque than um, in the NBA. And, and the Celtics overall have upgrades all the way around. So, um, any chance that you can get an upgrade at the roster position, 
I would say, you know, nothing lost on Demetrius. And, and have to give credit to Mike Zarin, um, the assistant general manager, for kind of having that unique um, stretch, um, you know, using the unique stretch provision and, and getting the seven years out of, out of that stretch of the contract rather than eating it all at once. Yeah, no, it, de- it definitely was something we haven't seen uh, before. We you know, are now seeing that um, you know, te- teams are getting smarter about how they're you know, using these things and are always good at exploiting the rules to their benefit. And you, you know, mentioned Mike Zarin. He is absolutely one of the best in the NBA um, as far as uh, manipulate, manipulating the salary cap. So now we're going to get into a couple of guys who the Celtics, these guys were signed in tandem, brought to Boston, Jonas Jerebko and Amir Johnson. They were both re-signed, spent the last um, couple of years with the Celtics on contracts. Um, they were both had non-guaranteed contracts originally for last year, which then the Celtics picked up and brought them back. Um, they're both productive players. Uh, Jerebko has since signed with the Utah Jazz. Amir Johnson moved on to the 76ers. So let's start with Jerebko. Um, really was primarily a bench player. Uh, was one of those guys who he would go sometimes stretches where he didn't play very much, and then the Celtics would pull him in and they would really come to count on him um, big time um, in the floor, especially in the playoffs. Over the last couple of seasons, they, he seemed to step up and play well in some big moments. moments. So what will the Celtics miss with Jarebko no longer on the roster? Uh, he was kind of that Swiss Army knife type player where you could just plug him in and, and you know what you're going to get as far as just all around able to knock down shots, he can defend, um, rebound a little bit if he has to. Um, you know, I, I think with Derevko, though, uh, based on kind of the way the Celtics wanted to, to build assets, I think it's perfect fit um, for um, – I know we'll talk about Utah later um, as we get these series rolled out, but um, I think Derevko fits Utah kind of that grind style that they're wanting to go for more than a – um, younger, faster-paced, uh, you know, Boston team that's that's a little bit younger and energetic. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he'll fit in really well in Utah, and I think he'll do quite well there. Um, you know, and like you said, we'll talk about that down the line. As we get into Amir Johnson now, he left for the 76ers. Johnson, again, was Celtics couldn't really bring him back. They, they had to clear his cap hold as a free agent to have the room to sign Hayward. There was some original thought that maybe he might come back for the room exception of about $4.3 million, but he ended up getting $11 million from the 76ers, and you can't fault a guy Johnson's age with as many years in his league for taking the, that payday. Um, you know, Celtics fans beat up on Amir Johnson because he wasn't a, you know, wasn't grabbing 10, 12 rebounds and blocking three shots a night and doing all those things. wasn't, you know, an amazing score inside or anything. But he get, got criminally underrated by fans in Boston. He was the team's best interior defender for most of his time here. He was the guy he would take on the center, so Al Horford didn't have to in the starting um, moments of each half. He would be the guy who would do a lot of the banging in there. Ran the floor pretty well. He's really tough, you know, good screen setter. You know, he's not a bad rebounder. He's just not a you know, amazing rebounder. You know, he's not ever going to win a rebounding title. Um, so I, you know, I've had this you know, battle with folks who have been like, no, they're not going to miss him at all. And I think when it comes down to it, the Celtics will miss him a little bit more than I think people realize, um, especially just because he did so many of the things that they're, they're not box score stats. So I think he goes a little unrecognized. That's the thing. The intangibles um, that Johnson brought was 
more than anything. And and with a guy like that, you don't have to have the box score stats to to know um, if you watch any Boston Celtics games, you don't want Al Horford in there banging and, and defending against you know premier post guys. So having Johnson in there to take that load kind of eased it uh, for Horford and his body, just trying to keep him healthy. Um, and then obviously with Johnson, the you mentioned the screen setting, just getting Isaiah Thomas better um, screens to roll to the rim and things like that. So they're going to miss that quite a bit. I think more so than fans even realize um, overall. I know Bradley hurts, but I personally, in my opinion, think that Amir Johnson hurts just as much just because of the the lack of um, you know toughness overall in the, in the front court um, for for Boston in my opinion. Yeah, so we'll we'll get into how they replaced him when we get into the guys they brought in because because I think may, we might have a little bit of a disagreement there because I think they did add some some toughness, but I do you know think they're gonna miss him here and just a sneak preview. I think he's really gonna help Philadelphia a lot mm-hmm. with all their young bigs. I think he's gonna help them kind of be be a pro, be professionals and really help them grow up uh, a lot quicker. So I'm gonna. Get into two guys that I'm going to tell you right now, the Celtics are not going to miss either one of them at all. Jordan Mickey and James Young. Um, Mickey was this guy. He had a great summer league one year and then did well in the preseason and was doing well in the down in the G League. And Celtics fans were like, play Mickey, you know, and it was this whole free Mickey movement and all this stuff. And then every time he played in the NBA, he stunk. Um, he's just not an NBA caliber player. He doesn't do anything well enough on either end of the floor. So he has been waived, and I think it's a sign that the Celtics kind of were right to not play him, that he has not been snapped up um, right away as a free agent. James Young, he was a, a free agent. He actually had his fourth-year rookie-scale option declined. So the Celtics, um, you know, that that only happens when you're basically saying, we made a mistake, this guy can't play. Or if the player unfortunately gets hurt, that's not the case with Young. He's just not very good. So the Celtics said, it's it's time to move on, go elsewhere. He played with the Pelicans in the pre in the summer league. Um, did did okay. You know, he's a guy who his whole game is based around shooting. He doesn't do anything else. He can't put the ball on the floor and score. He doesn't defend. Um, he it, there's times when you watch him. The only time he ever goes anywhere near the paint is if he's crossing from one three point line to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's just not uh, he's not very good. He was another guy because he he hit a bunch of shots in Maine in the G League and then hit a uh, few shots when he played in his first couple of appearances with the Celtics. And people were like, "See, we got to play this guy." And then anytime again he would play, he just wasn't very good. So so they're not going to miss either one of those guys. And in the interest of time, we're going to skip to a guy though that they are going to miss. And that's Kelly Olenek. Um, Olenek was a restricted free agent. The Celtics started the summer by giving him a qualifying offer as they were kind of letting things play out with Gordon Hayward and with other moves because Boston didn't want to let him go. He was a guy Danny Ainge traded up to draft. He really, you know, they like him. They value his, he's one of the more versatile big men in the NBA, can score both inside and outside, handle the ball, decent passer. He's actually a much better defender than he gets given credit for. But, you know, again, necessary evil in order to do the other moves they had to, they 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 reached a point where they realized they were going to have to let Olenek go. So what the team ultimately did was they rescinded his qualifying offer, which made him an unrestricted free agent. And that's something you do as a front office group when it's, all right, we're not going to muddy up your market 
at all. So it's a favor to both the player and the agent to say, let's let's set you free so now you can go pursue opportunities fully versus teams being like, yeah, we're interested, but, you know, what if they match an offer or whatever as a restricted free agent? So the Celtics did a solid for Olenek in his camp and let him go, and he caught on with the Miami Heat, got a big deal down in Miami four years, about uh, almost $50 million or so, um, and he'll be a be a good match next to Hassan Whiteside or behind Hassan Whiteside. I, I think there's a good chance he may actually start um, down in Miami. Celtics are going to miss his shooting off the bench and his ability to be just a good, versatile player. You know, and I, I kind of said it at the time, well, we'll always have game seven against the Wizards, which will forever be known as the Kelly Olynyk game, where you just hit everything down the stretch as the Celtics advance the Eastern Conference Finals. But, Pete, thoughts on Olynyk? Uh, just that they're going to miss the shooting, I think. But at the same time, the guys that they have coming in, who we'll talk about in a minute, can do some of those things just as well on the offensive end. In, in time, some of them in time, some of them right away. Um, with Olenek, I think it was an amazing opportunity um, in Miami because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, not to dive too much into Miami, but I think he'll start next to Hassan Whiteside, and, and he'll get a great opportunity to kind of flourish there. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the uh, kind of – I don't want to call it sneaky because you can't give a guy 10-plus million and be sneaky about it, but I think that's one of the moves that's not getting enough love uh, this summer. So uh, last guy who left is Tyler Zeller, another big man. Um, he had a fully non-guaranteed contract for $8 million. The Celtics tried to use him in trades up through to his um, uh, guarantee date and could not get anything done, so he is now – Headed out of town, he is a free agent at this point, has not been picked up. Zeller's a guy who, again, took a lot of grief from fans because, you know, a lot of times fans want your senator, they want the senators to be white side, right, where the guy gets 12, 15 rebounds and, you know, blocks a bunch of shots and dunking all over the place and those kind of things. And that's not what every guy is. Zeller is, at this point, he's a fifth big man, you know, third string center type. But what he always did for Boston was he stayed ready and whenever he was called upon, he came in and he was generally fairly productive. Rarely did he come in and it was like, oh, God, you know, he we lost the game because of that five-minute stretch Tyler Zeller played. That didn't happen very often. So, you know, he's a guy who, you know, he'll catch on with some team and then he'll make a roster. And, you know, he's just a solid pro. And, you know, he's kind of that uh, embodiment of seven-footers in the NBA. As long as they can, can run, we'll always have a hub. Yeah, exactly, and he can rebound, you know, decently well, and, and um, I mean, he's not going to light the world on fire scoring or um, playing defense, but he can help you, you know, on a you know a team, you know, exactly in the role that he did for Boston as a fifth big. Um, I know the, the market's kind of dry, drying up all the way around, but, I mean, he could latch on somewhere come, come training camp. Yeah, no, for sure, and I think that's what will happen. So um, so we're going to pause here for a quick second just to remind you, this is the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. I'm joined by Pete Toll as we break down all 30 NBA off-seasons. This episode, we are breaking down the Boston Celtics. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. If you like this show, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help us, um, or on whatever podcast player you choose, whether it be Stitcher or TuneIn or um 
any of those, Google Play. Um, we're on all of them. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Again, the uh, NBA front office show, part of the Almighty Baller Network. And we're going to get back into it now, and we're going to talk about the guys who came in and joined the Celtics. So we're going to start it off with, um, you know, I'm going to go out of order here on our outline, Pete, because it doesn't make sense to start with anybody coming in other than Gordon Hayward. Um, joined the Celtics, signed a 3-plus-1 contract, $127.8 million max deal. Um, it will take him through the next three years in Boston and then a player option on that fourth year. Um, it was one of those things where we kind of – this is one of those where everybody saw this coming as much as a year ago, and everybody said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and then, then it happened, which is somewhat of a rarity. Um, in sports, you know, we, we, we line those up, right? And it's one of those, I, I know you're a gamer. It's one of those where I remember how many times would you trade a guy to a team in a game? And then some, then every once in a while it would actually happen. I was like, I've done that a million times, yeah. you know, in, uh, in, in the NBA or NFL games or whatever it was. And then it works out. So, um, yeah, so Gordon Hayward, the Celtics got their man, um, here with him. A little bump in the road there on July 4th. It was a, uh, it was a crazy day. I was glued to the computer as was. I think everyone else um, who is interested in this one. But what do you think Gordon Hayward is going to bring to the Boston Celtics? Well, first and foremost, depending on the health of Isaiah Thomas to start the season with the you know the hip injury, Hayward might end up being the the you know first four if Isaiah Thomas is not all the way back. But long term, perfect complement next to Isaiah Thomas can handle the ball. Um, does it? Hayward hasn't done much isolation scoring um, lately, but I think that he's capable of doing that. He can knock down shots. Um, on the offensive end, he gives you um, length, whether he's playing you know, the two-guard or the small forward spot. Um, and obviously, you know, knowing Brad Stevens back from his days at Butler, um, they know each other well. Um, Going to be great for Boston fans um, all the way around, and I think it's a perfect fit for, for both Hayward and Boston. Yeah, you know, and, and a couple of things I'm going to add to that. So um, one thing I highly encourage everybody to go check out is Bill Sy over at Celtics Blog. I contributed a little bit to the piece. Um, really broke down a look at how Hayward and Bradley, um, the Celtics and Jazz, actually ran a lot of the same sets. But what's different is Bradley's sets were always run for Bradley to get a shot because Bradley's not a creator. He He's not going to come off the action and the team defended it well and he's going to put the ball on the floor. Usually if he didn't have his shot, it was a quick pass to somebody else to reset the offense. Well, Hayward, Utah would run them, and sometimes they'd run a secondary action elsewhere on the floor, which was designed for Hayward to get the touch, not for the shot, but to make a play in the pass or off the bounce to somebody else. So so please go to Celtics Blog, check out that piece. Bill Bill put a lot of film clips into it, a lot of breakdowns, a lot of um, you know stats in there on how, how both players are used. So I think Hayward is going to help diversify the offense quite a bit because he can play inside, he can play outside, he can create off the dribble. He's a very good passer, so he should fit in with Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas quite well in that side. I think him being there is almost a secondary ball handler, allows the bigs to be scorers a little more. The Celtics secondary ball handlers for most of the last season, if it wasn't IT, it was the big men. And now you've got Hayward who can do some of that. So I think that'll be a uh, you know pretty good um, you know look at what he can do there. And on the defensive end, he's a lot 
better than people think and give credit for um, him being there. So he you know, can really do a lot of things. He can play both the two and the three. He's your consummate wing. But he also stepped up for Utah. They had a lot of injuries up front and played the four some for the Jazz. Uh, it's not something I think you want to see any sort of regular basis. But, you know, he, he's going to be a massive addition to the Celtics um, going forward and one of the better players that they have ever landed in free agency. And, you know, back-to-back years, Al Horford and Gordon Hayward, I think that might kill the uh, Celtics can't sign free agents narrative that's been out there for years. So, um, all right, so now now we're going to get back onto the outline here because um, I'm sure we will talk Gordon Hayward and things like that as, as the year goes along. But the next guy, Kadeem Allen, he was drafted in 2017 with with one of the Celtics' second-round draft picks, they, of which they had four of them. Um, he can't, comes in. Allen was uh, – Signed to a two-way contract. So as your little reminder, two-way contracts, that's a guy who can play and practice with the NBA team for up to 45 days if it goes to a 46th day that he's with the NBA team. So that's practice, travel time, games, whatever. Then the contract has to be converted into a standard NBA contract or the player needs to be be let go. Um, so Allen signed to that two-way. You'll see him around Boston all throughout training camp in the early part of the season as that 45-day clock does not kick in until the NBA season starts, or excuse me, until the G League season starts. So when the NBA G League season starts, then you will see um, Allen probably primarily with Maine, with the Red Claws as he develops down there. Pete, what do you know about Allen's game? Uh, thing about him coming out of Arizona is he's a defender. He's 6'3", so he's more slotted for uh, the point guard spot, but he can obviously play the two. Um, not the greatest shooter, but he did improve. Um, I think he was at, what, 40, 41, 42% um, hitting his threes at, at Arizona um, last year. The thing about him is he's long, so he's got that 6'9 wingspan, and obviously he's going to help in the G League. And then if, if there's any kind of – um, you know, change over in the in the backcourt going into next season. Maybe he can latch on to the to the team. Um, you know, then. But during this season, you know, that's the great thing about the two way contracts. If there's a small injury, like say Isaiah Thomas isn't ready, you know, to start the season. You know, God forbid that happens. Um, they could always, you know, move him up for you know a game or two if they're in a really emergency basis. But majority, he's going to play in the G League and. I actually think he's going to do well. He'll up his scoring and, and still be able to be a uh, one of the better defenders in the G League just from the from the get go. Yeah, no, I will say he really struggled in summer league. He he didn't look good um, at all. He he mostly played behind Demetrius Jackson, um, who was still with the Celtics at that point and running the show for Boston. Um, so you know it, it'll be interesting. I don't have super high hopes that Allen's you know going to ever be be anything. But the Celtics have hit with some of these defense first guards in the past and developed mm-hmm. into them into something. Again, Avery Bradley, um, Marcus Smart, you know. Depends on what you think of him, but that's, you know, they've done some stuff there. So it'll be interesting to see you know, ultimately where it goes with Allen. On the opposite side, Aaron Baines. He was the guy who came in. He's essentially the uh, Amir Johnson replacement. He did sign for the room exception. He's been playing for the Pistons for the last couple of years after starting his NBA career with the San Antonio Spurs. He has primarily been a backup big man for the majority of his NBA career, but he's a guy who is known as a good screen setter. He is a fairly smart player. He's tough. He's rugged. His rebound 
numbers are actually really good if you translate them to a guy who plays more um, and didn't play behind Tim Duncan in his early years and then Andre Drummond in his later years where there's just not a lot of a time nor a chance to rebound. So um, can do that. He provide a little bit of interior defense, could average about a block a game. You know, I think that we're going to get into who we each think end up, ends up starting for this team a little later in the show, but there's a chance, you know, that he could be in that mix there. What does Brain the what does Baines bring to Boston? Now, I talked earlier saying that the Celtics kind of have a little bit of a loss of toughness when you know when they lost Mir Johnson. If Baines is able to start um, next to Horford, he gives you um, an upgrade. I personally don't think um, he's going to do as well as Amir Johnson, but he can complement Horford in a way that, that's not going to hinder the Celtics as much as, as people think um, you know, they will with, with Horford there um, playing the power forward spot rather than having to play center. Um, Baines isn't going to score um, a lot, but he'll be able to um, at least kind of alter shots as far as just kind of having a big body in there. He's not going to block shots or anything like that, but just his – his wide body is going to be able to kind of alter guys going to the rim um, to try to score. I, I personally think, and, and, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it there, I think being starts um, is, to me, the only logical way um, that the Celtics can go just because of their help. Uh, they need help with interior defense and um, a little bit of rebounding help. That's the Horford. Yeah, and I will say with um, Baines, one big difference is Amir Johnson, you know, if you watch the Celtics, he can hit three-point shots. Now, it takes him about a minute to get <laughs> yeah. shot off, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's a little preview for any Philly fans. Um, you know, you might even watch him and be like, oh, my God, what is he doing? But he does hit him at a pretty good good clip. It just takes, you know, a, a day and a half to get up. Um, and Johnson's also an underrated passer. He, you know, knows what he's doing out there as a ball mover. So, so that that's a little bit of the the offset. And Celtics get a little more size, rebounding, toughness inside with Baines, but they're going to lose a little bit of that versatility on the offensive end that Johnson uh, did bring them. So now I want to go into a guy. This one kind of came out of nowhere. Shocked everybody I have talked to. None of us really knew it was coming. That's Shane Larkin. Um, if you remember Larkin, he was a guy who was drafted by Dallas, played for the Knicks, then the Nets, and then he spent last season playing overseas. He was playing in, um, uh, where, where was he, Pete? Do you remember? I want to say uh, Bastonia. Yeah, it was over. over um, yeah. yeah. I think he had a $3 million deal that he opted out of because he wanted to come mm-hmm. back to the NBA. And he chose to come back with the Celtics. Now, why didn't come back to the NBA? That's not a surprise. A lot of guys go over to Europe and realize, this isn't for me. I want to get back to, to the league. But coming into Boston where they have a crowded roster, he hasn't actually signed yet, but he will sign fairly soon. Um, the transaction just hasn't gone official, but it is all agreed to. He's going to be the 16th guaranteed contract, and he can only have 15 uh, guaranteed contracts on the main roster. So it will be interesting to see um, if he makes the team. So that's the question I'm going to ask you is, does Shane Larkin even make this team? If they end up doing something with Terry Rozier, I think it's going to be um, – I know Danny Ainge kind of touched on it um, at the beginning of the offseason before summer league began that this is going to be a huge year for Terry Rozier. And um, I think once we get to preseason and training camp, it's, it's going to be a battle. I think with Larkin, um, ultimately he could have been one of the better paid 
guards in Europe. He did really well for Bisconia last year. Um, ended up overall averaged uh, about 14 points um, a game, um, five assists. Can you know facilitate the offense? He still struggles shooting the ball. Even in Europe, he only shot 33. percent um, He's more of a kind of get in the open floor and kind of look to create for others, take a little mid-range shot here or there. Um, it's going to be interesting. I actually am on the pro side of liking Larkin kind of as that um, third point guard if um, things don't work out with Terry Rozier. Yeah, and Larkin, he's one of these guys super quick, um, can break teams down off the dribble, get into the paint to create for himself and others. Um, it'll be interesting. It's definitely going to be a battle in training camp for roster spots um, there. So, you know, it'll be – it's a curious signing, but, you know, it's like you said, it could, could be one of those things that's linked to something else coming down the line or something along those lines. Now, one thing, we I had a bunch of Celtics fans say, they've got 16 contracts. That means there's a trade coming. You know, we're going to do another trade. <laughs> and one of the things that I responded back was the last two years they've gone in with 16 guaranteed contracts on the roster and then they've eight money. Uh, they did it for R.J. Hunter last year. Two years ago, they did it for Perry Jones the third. So don't don't be Danny Ainge and ownership are not afraid to say, all right, you know, we just got to eat a contract here to make a move. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's another trade coming. doesn't mean there isn't, but it doesn't mean that there is. So um, speaking of trades, a guy who did come in and trade, we talked about him briefly before, Marcus Morris came in for in the trade where the Celtics sent Avery Bradley to the Pistons to clear the cap space. About $3 million or so difference in salary between those two players. Um, that allowed them to have the freedom to then sign Gordon. And Hayward. Uh, Morris is the guy. I really like this guy. Um, he is He's not Draymond Green, but he's Draymond Green light in the sense that he is a pretty good facilitator. He's a pretty good rebounder, pretty good scorer. Um, you know, de- decent defender, can, can really defend three and four and occasionally the smaller fives um, in the league when teams go really small. Um, you know, can do a lot of really good things without taking much off the table. It's again, he's not Draymond Green. There's there's really only one of him in the NBA. Um, but Morris is a guy. I think he's going to help Boston quite a bit. Where do you see him fitting into the Celtics? Um, for the Celtics, he fits to me more in the stretch four role. I know he's played most of his minutes at the small forward spot the last few years for Detroit. Before that, he did play the power forward spot in Phoenix. So he's not relatively new to the four spot. Um, he's able to knock down the three-point shot, which is going to be huge, uh, stretching the floor. I think just because of the need of an interior presence, like I mentioned um, earlier, next to Al Horford, I think that Morris comes off the bench. But it's kind of unique because with Baines, he'll come out relatively quick, um, and then they'll sub in. Uh, Marcus Morris to play the four and then move Horford over to the five. So you're going to see Marcus Morris more than you're going to see um, Aaron Baines on the floor, and especially to, to close out games and things like that. Yeah, I think Baines, you kind of touched on it there. I think with the new timeout rules and those kind of things, Baines is a guy who he might play 
what, five minutes a quarter mm-hmm. um, or so. And then I think Morris is a guy who steps in and plays plays more minutes. But, you know, well, it'll be interesting. I, and I'm, I'm with you. I think he does play more of a big role um, for the Celtics than playing more on the wing. In Detroit, they really just kind of called them forwards because him and Tobias right. Harris were so similar in, um, you know, build and play style. But Morris can, you know, can, can defend, like I said, threes and fours and those smaller fives if they really need them to. Um, you know, good versus player, that's what the Celtics want. They want guys who can do a lot of different things. They're trying to you know, build up that versatility. And speaking of versatility, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say real quick, I'm sorry to interject. Um, with Morris, I, I've noticed just kind of looking at, you know, because I, I obviously research a lot of forums and, and different things like that. I noticed a lot of people kind of down on Morris because he shot the ball um, a little bit worse last year. But fans don't realize, like, if you're playing in an offense with an injured Reggie Jackson in Detroit, you know, kind of up and down all year, you had Ish Smith at the point guard spot, and then you had Andre Drummond as your center, you know, you're kind of taking on more of a scoring load. Um, and so your percentage is going to go down. But I think playing with skilled guys um, like Gordon Hayward, um, Isaiah Thomas, guys that can get you the ball, even Al Horford, you know, being able to pass so great inside, you know, Morris is going to have much better looks um, in the offense and, and it's going to have a really good year for Boston. Yeah, that um, Pistons offense was a mess mm-hmm. last season. You mentioned all the reasons why, and it just, you know, Reggie Jackson being hurt, that really kind of sunk them offensively. Mm-hmm. It's a, Ish Smith does a nice job, but he's not he's not Jackson. You know, nobody plays him to score, you know, which allows guys – guys to stay just enough tighter to two other guys. Um, you know, and I think we saw everyone struggled um in that offense last year. So yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. That's a good point. I'm glad you chimed in with that one. Um now talk talking versatility, I want to talk two guys who so these two guys are really versatile. Um and both were second round draft picks. One drafted in two thousand sixteen, that's Abdel Nader. He was drafted and then he was what I like to call a domestic draft and staff, which means the Celtics didn't sign him, but they had him play in Maine for the entirety of this 16-17 season. He has signed. He signed a four-year contract, a little bit over the minimum in the first year, um, then got a a good guarantee for the second year, third year fully non-guaranteed, fourth year team option fully non-guaranteed, very similar to what we talked about with Demetrius Jackson, same type of deal they did with Jordan Mickey. This is the Celtics MO with these second-round picks. And the second guy who got very similar in terms of structure, very similar in terms of structure and money, Semi Ojale, um, he was drafted in 2017. Um, both these guys played for the Celtics summer league teams in Utah and Las Vegas, and both did a lot of interesting things. Um, they Again, versatility being the name here. I think Nader is a little more versatile to the small side. He's probably more of a guard forward, and I think Ojale is more of a true forward who can play, play up. Um, Ojale is, if you have not seen him, he's built like a truck. I mean, this guy is massive. Um, he, he's another guy who people are like, he, he can be Draymond Green. Well, let's not go crazy. I don't want to call a second-round pick, you know, in his first year, Draymond Green. But, again, he's he's built like that. He plays like that. He's a solid defender. I, and just to, before I let you chime in on these two, Pete, i got to talk about Ojale when the Celtics played the Lakers in Summer League. He guarded everyone from Lonzo Ball to um, Avica Subac. 
So he, you know, played point guard, you know, defensively guarded the point guard all the way to the center. And he held his own against all of them. He's so strong and has such a low center of gravity that established NBA guys couldn't move him off the block because that's how strong he is. But more importantly than that, he showed the ability to hit some shots. Now, when he tried mm-hmm. to do stuff off the dribble, it was a mess. <laughs> we, we don't want that. You know, just calm, calm it down there, big fella. Um, but was able to step out and hit some shots. Nader tried to do a little bit too much. I think he was, you know, really trying to um, seal his, his uh, roster spot or something. You know, so he had some bad turnovers. But he can make plays off the bounce, shoot it a little bit. What are your thoughts on Nader and Ojale? I'll start with Ojale first. Um, shout out to uh, Drew Hanlon, which is obviously the premier NBA trainer, skills trainer. The best. Um, he, yeah, hold on, yeah. I'm going to chime in. The best. I got to um, hear him speak and then talk with him at the Pro Scout School run by TPG Sports Group that I went to out in Las Vegas. He did he did a, a panel and then did a whole um, breakout session. I got to talk to him after. This guy is the best NBA skills trainer in the game, period, full stop, not even close. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan. All the way back to, I remember when he played at Belmont uh, with Ian Clark. So, um, you know, it's funny just to hear, you know, Drew's story and just his nutrition advice and obviously his skills um, advice. You know, very good um, insight. Definitely go follow him if, if you haven't already. Um, but with with Ojale, one of his clients, and um, he also worked with Jason Tatum as well. But Ojale, he really worked on um, getting Ojale to knock down that outside three. Um, and you could see improvements, you know, at the at the standstill three. Obviously, you touched on he needs improvement off the dribble. But I think the ability to be that versatile defender um, guarding multiple positions is going to be key. And then on the offensive end, knocking down that three-point shot, stretching the floor is going to be another key. But what Ojale does that people don't necessarily – no, is he so quick? Yes, um, and, and that's what gives him an ability to guard those multiple positions. And you know, he can stay with the perimeter scores, things like that. But then he can also score inside. Um, last year in the uh, ACC, playing for SMU, he ended up getting sixty-two uh, percent of his shots to go down on only twelve shots. So you know, really able to to be versatile and. I think he's an outstanding pickup for the Celtics. But moving on to, to Nader, fantastic year last year in the G League. Um, very versatile, can play the three and the four. Um, and I think really the only knock I have on him is, you know, he has to slow down his thinking. I, I think he touched on it perfect with the Summer League. Just trying to do too much, you know, just stay in your realm of, you know, getting loose balls, being able on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, you know, don't try to stretch the floor right now with the three-point shot. I, I know he can shoot it, but I, I think the best thing is, is trying to get to the rim and, and you know, get some contact and, and score at the free-throw line and, you know, get some easy transition shots. I think that's where he's going to, um, you know, do well. But overall, between Ojale and Nader, I think Nader plays a little bit more um, you know, for the big club with, with the Celtics this season than Ojale does. But I would not count up Ojale to really hit a huge development leap and 
um, get some late season minutes. Yeah, I, th- I think you mentioned his defense, both his uh, strength and his quickness. I think he'll help, and I think that may get him some early minutes um, for the Celtics because of those reasons. Um, now I want to head into so so those were two rookies in a row. There we um, talked there. There's four more rookies going to be on this mm-hmm. roster um, this year. They're going to have a minimum of at least six rookies on the roster now. A couple of them are because they stashed guys. One is a guy who he, he's a NBA rookie but has been around a little bit and I want to talk about him first that's Daniel Tice he's a big man from Germany can play both the four and the five um, can stretch it out a little bit he is to, to give fans a kind of a quick overview he's kind of like Chris Anderson if you remember the Birdman um, he's kind of a Chris Anderson type but with a jump shot um, he's you know he, he's probably not as athletic as Anderson. I mean, Anderson was in the dunk contest and those kind of things. Um, but he can really run the floor well. He can get up and block some shots. Um, did his did his uh, Celtics teammate Ante Zizic dirty in one game where I think he got him three or four times on one possession. Um, you know, with blocks, he, he's you know a quick leaper. He's he's only about six foot nine, so he's not you know overly tall, but can really get up quick. Can get up and dunk the ball, run the floor. I think he's going to be someone that might help the team more, and I think he's going to keep some of these other young guys um, down in the rotation a little early on. And then when they prove more ready, then Tice will slide back. But um, Tice comes over. I don't know how much you've seen of him, um, Pete. I don't know if you had a chance to check out any of his highlight tapes. But what are your thoughts? on Daniel Tice? I actually have. I know we had previous conversations, so I wanted to make a point to actually watch him um, and see what he did well. And playing for Bruce Bomberg in the EuroLeague, he actually was able to stretch the floor 41% clip, although he only shot it 39 times. That actually, I think, will translate to, you know, kind of the deep two, you know, 18 to 20 feet consistently in the NBA, being able to knock that down. But more so, he's able to run in transition, get in the pick and roll. And then actually what I saw is being able to set fantastic screens, and that's going to be what um, he does well in the NBA, first and foremost. The second thing is is he actually can guard the um, the ball handler on the uh, screen and roll as well. So that's going to help um, there. And I think, you know, a lot of – Celtics fans don't really know who he is. I think he's going to surprise early because I actually think he gets, you know, not a a lot of minutes, but I think, um, you know, bringing him over, being able to play the four and the five um, will bode well for his chances to get, you know, a small amount of minutes to start the season. Yeah, I I think what's really interesting with him is – He's going to be one of those guys who I think fans are going to fall in love with because of the way he plays, because he can do a lot of different things, and he runs the floor. He's going to get up and dunk and block shots and do those kind of things. So I do think you're going to see fans be like, I love this guy, you know, and then um, then when we get deeper into the year, then, you know, they might be like, I want to see, you know, Ojale, and, and then the next uh, couple of guys we're going to talk about, we're, we're – I promise, folks, we will talk Jason Tatum. I want to leave him the last because um, we're going to spend some time on him. But the next two guys I want to talk about, Gershon Yabusele and Ante Zizic, both were drafted in 2016, both signed now to come over after spending a year overseas. Zizic played in both Croatia and then in Turkey. Yabusele played in China and then finished out. He actually came over and played for Maine in the G League at the very tail end of the year um, here in the United States. So those two guys are 
now signed, and they will be on the roster. Two young bigs. Um, Yabaselli, again, that versatile um, big. He's you know He was uh, called French Draymond Green. So, so apparently the Celtics have a thing for Draymond Green types um, on their roster, and he is uh, you know, the kind of guy who can do some, some – uh, do do a lot of different things. He's uh, affectionately already known as the Dancing Bear um, because he you know kind of moves around. He's he's nimble. He's a bigger guy, kind of a thicker guy, but he's really athletic. Can do a lot of things. You look at him and he's built like former Celtic Jared Sollinger a little, but he's far more athletic <laughs> um, and can do a lot more things than Sollinger could do um, as far as making plays on the floor. And then Zizic is kind of your. He's more of a throwback big man, um, but with a little bit of ability. I, I've been referring to him as if he develops, he's going to be a better Tyler Zeller um, because he can really run the floor um, better than what he showed in summer league. I know there was a lot of concerns, but you have to remember, this guy's played almost for a year straight. Um, really not a lot of break in the European season. is very demanding. Then he came over. His first handful of summer league games were in Utah, which is at elevation. It's, it doesn't get the credit for it, but it's a lot like Denver in that. If a guy's never played at elevation, it can be really hard to get their wind. He struggled with that. By the end of the week in Las Vegas, he was playing quite well. Um, can can score and defend inside, make a lot of plays down in there, do a lot of, lot of different things. Um, I think he's a guy who the Celtics probably – Probably not this year, but by the end of this season, he'll be playing a little bit more. And then going into next year, I think we'll see Zizic um, be a bigger part of the team and a bigger part of what they're hoping to do going forward. Um, I just think they're going to take it slow, really, with both of these guys, both Yavaselli and Zizic. So let's talk about them for a couple minutes. Uh, with Zizic, he played under David Black, which is, for those who remember David Black, he was the former Cavaliers coach. Um, and... You know, playing in the EuroLeague, he got a little bit more experience. He, to me, in, in summer league, was a little bit unsure of himself. But that's going to happen with a guy that's kind of coming from the European market over to the NBA. Um, was a little bit struggling to, to finish early. But like you said, as the summer league went on, he got more comfortable. I think his role is going to be just to get transition baskets, get putbacks, things like that, um, you know, if he's to play for Boston. But as perfectly as you said, I think he's more, to me, a development guy than Tice is at this point, um, which is not a bad thing at all, um, you know, to me, because I think long-term Zizic will, will fill the, you know, different intangible roles that the Celtics need. They don't need a score. They don't need, um, you know, necessarily a, a guy that, that's going to give you 20 points. They just need a guy that's going to be able to grab some rebounds, get a couple of dunks in transition, get a couple of putbacks. And, and I think Zizic will do that perfectly well, um, you know, whether it's the end of the year or next year. Um, yeah, and I'm sorry, let's be really clear, too. Tice is 25. You know, mm-hmm. so he's been a pro for several years. So he, he's a he's a rookie by NBA standards, but he's not he's not a rookie playing. Zizic is more of that. Zizic only turned 20 in January. So he's mm-hmm. you know he's going to be you know turn 21 about midway through the season, and then Yabasele will turn 22 um, just before the Christmas. So these these guys are very very young. You know they're the equivalent of these guys who come out of college after a year or two um, is essentially where they're coming in and maybe just as raw. So you know I, I know I just mentioned Yabasele and you were getting ready to go there. So let's let's talk about him for a minute. You know, with Yabaselli, um, last year he played in China. For those who don't remember, he played next to Jimmer Fredette, which 
um, you know, is good in the way or bad in the way because Jim Prudence is going to get his points. But uh, Yabuselli did really well um, in China. Uh, he ended up coming off a, uh, I think it was an ankle injury at the end of the year, played for, for, yeah, play for Maine, and then he ended up breaking his foot, um, which I believe from all reports um, is that he'll be ready for training camp. Um, the thing that, that kind of got me with Yabuselli that, that I like is just his ability to finish, and that was a very strong um, – you know, part of his game, he can knock down the three-point shot. I don't know if he's at consistent NBA range quite yet to be able to knock down 35 36%, but he can at least, you know, get out to about 22 feet and, and knock that down consistently. Um, and he does well on, on, his, on his defense as far as a block rate goes. I don't know if he's going to be a fantastic, you know, shot blocker by NBA standards, but he can give you energy. And, and the perfect thing that you said that I liked was he has Jared Sollinger's body, but he does not have Jared Sollinger's game, um, way more athletic. And um, I think that long-term the Celtics have built around these young guys, and, and I think they're going to, you know, at least um, if, if half of them turn out, then it's a plus for Celtics fans. But I think Celtics fans are going to be pleasantly surprised. And I, I think – Every one of these guys um, that's coming in is going to be either a rotation guy for the Celtics um, long term, or you know at least develop into um, you know a capable NBA player. I don't think we're going to have any busts out of, out of them. No, yeah. So we we made you wait long enough. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about Jason Tatum. Um, mm-hmm. So Jason Tatum, if to, to I, I know any Celtics fans listening to this remember, but basically what happened with Tatum was the Celtics traded the number one overall pick to the Philadelphia 76ers, moved back. They insisted that had they stayed at one, Tatum would have been the pick at number one overall. They were gonna make that 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 pick no matter what. He is only 19 years old. He doesn't even turn 20 until March of this year, so he's extremely young. But he blew the doors off it in summer league. He was fantastic, um, both in Utah and in Las Vegas. Made a bunch of plays off the dribble, a bunch of really tough shots. Um, you know, just showed his ability to be a really good scorer. Um, did it against some NBA caliber players. Um, you know, it's not not that Tatum's going to step in and score you know even 10 points a game as a rookie in the real league, but he did show the ability to make some plays. Um, they really partnered up with. Celtics second-year guy, Jalen Brown, to, to really give a lot of excitement to a lot of people. Um, one thing I was impressed with is I thought he was better off the dribble than I thought he would be. Um, you know, and he made these tough, really tough shots. And you mentioned before, he trains with Drew Hanlon. And Drew was one of the guys who tipped me off to Tatum. A lot of people say he has this hitch in his shot. And he gets a lot of a lot of grief for it. Is you know this hitch? We got to get that hitch out of his shot. But he doesn't. What Drew Hanlon actually taught us was he doesn't really have a hitch in his shot. He's double jointed at both his wrist and his elbows, so that's what causes that hitch to happen. It's not a not a real thing. It just you know it's a it's a natural thing um, in a shooting motion, which actually at times I think helps because I think a defender gets in the rhythm of already he's going up, I'm going to be there, and then he's not there, and then he shoots. Um, you know, it's a kind of a split-second thing. Um, competed well on defense. He was a much better rebounder than I thought he would be. Really got after it on the glass. You know, I don't want to get too excited here, um, but I think the Celtics have a real player in Jason Tatum. 
Yeah, I was a huge fan of Tatum. Obviously, I'm a, for those that don't know, I'm a deep Blue Devils fan for whatever reason. I don't know how that happened because I'm from Philadelphia and then uh, grew up, you know, later years in, in Georgia. I don't know how as a kid I ended up, I don't know, just subconsciously saw Duke on TV or whatever, but fell in love with Duke. So I've been a Duke guy my whole life. Um, I really like Tatum, what he can bring. Um, and I, I want to get a little bit misconception out of the way with, with Tatum as far as the summer league goes. People were knocking Tatum left and right. They're like, well, he didn't look that impressive because he's shooting all these mid-range jumpers and, you know, fadeaways, things like that. That is what you're supposed to do in summer league. Yeah. Work on things that you might not necessarily do um, well. And he actually showed, um, you know, the ability to not down those tough shots. Well, he can do that now and start. Yeah, sorry, on that too, making tough shots is a skill. You know, not yeah, enough exactly. to credit for that. You know, a lot of people are just like, oh, you took contested shots. What do you take in the NBA? You take contested shots. You mm-hmm. know, so, you know, now, now they'll be more contested because he's going to be against better defenders. But he showed the ability to make tough contested shots. Like, that 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 was one of the things that I didn't really understand. You know, it was like people were saying all this stuff. Now, one thing, sorry, and I'll let you get back into it in a second. One thing that I will say he has to get out of his game is, he sets up his dribble right at the three-point line, so he sets up his move there, which a lot of times results in him taking a long two. But I think what will happen is, as he gets into working with the Celtics more, he'll start that move a foot or two behind the line so that he's actually pulling up and taking that shot at the line um, versus you know just inside and getting that. And that's just an adjustment from the college line to the NBA line. You know, he was started, He's still starting his moves where he started them in college. Um, with that, but he's got the shooting form and the touch and the release and all that to definitely be a quality NBA shooter. But I'll let you get back to it, Pete. Well, I was just going to touch on you, you touched on perfect, um, you know, kind of that that step back um, outside the three point line getting started. So I don't have to touch on that, but the the post game that he showed, just the ability to get down in there and you know come you know fade away from the post and things like that. That's rare, you know, to be that good um, as a rookie. I know at summer league people are going to be like, well, don't get overexcited about it. But I think he's going to do very well um, with that. Now, he does struggle a little bit defensively, but what rookie does not struggle defensively? Um, so I'm not going to knock him there. But I think he is a key, key piece um, in the Celtics rotation. I think – I know they started Jalen Brown off slow last year. I think you're going to see – Tatum, you know, maybe slower minutes for the first five, six games, and then he's going to start blossoming, and they're going to get him in the rotation. And the thing that Celtics, you know, I noticed with fans are like, well, we have so many small forwards and wings and stuff. doesn't matter. The NBA is going small left and right, so you can play a huge mix of these guys, and I think Tatum's going to be right there. Yeah, and so that's a good point. So not that's a I know you didn't mean to, but perfect segue into what I want to talk about next. So we've talked about all the guys who left, all the guys who came in, and then we kind of talked around it and touched on it. But so let's I'm going to expand the question a little because we already talked it briefly. What who are your starting five, and then what's your what's kind of your four or five man rotation behind those guys? Mm, okay, so you've got Isaiah Thomas at the point guard spot. I think you play um, Marcus Smart at the two uh, to start, um, Hayward at the three, Horford at the four, Aaron Baines at the five, 
Um, behind Baines, you've got um, – I would put Tice there. Um, you've got behind um, behind Horford, I'd have Morris come in at the, the four where you can slide Horford over to the five when Baines comes out. Um, Tatum at the three. And then I'd actually move Jalen Brown. I know he started a number of games at two guard last year. I moved Jalen Brown down to the two to get make sure you get him minutes. Um, and that's basically, to me, um, your rotation there. I think, um, you know, because you can slide smart down to the point guard spot if you need to, uh, things like that. So that's kind of the collection of guys there. And then just, you know, spot minutes for, for anybody else that you can, you know, kind of squeeze in there. All right, so I'm going to ask you about two guys then, because one you left out, guy who started almost since he came to the Celtics, Jay Crowder. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know how in the world I forgot about Jay Crowder. Okay, um, let me revise well, that. So Crowder. There, and I know, I know if you hadn't forgotten, you'd have him in there. But it's funny yeah. because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who think he shouldn't start this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so so where, 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 where would you have had him? Um, oh, see, that's tough. See, I, I knew I was going to end up forgetting somebody when I'm trying to do this just kind of off the top of my head. Yeah, um, just so everybody knows, this wasn't fair because this was not the question that's on our show outline. <laughs> I, I um, that, that was okay. I like, I like um, you know, just kind of on-the-spot uh, questions like that. Um, honestly, I like him, and, and it's bad to say, I like him kind of as that small ball four role. Um, mm, it's kind of hard that I'd actually say then – you move um, you move Hayward down to the two. You have uh, Crowder at the three to start, um, which then slides Smart back to the point guard spot as the backup. Um, then you have um, Jalen Brown still at the two, and then you put um, Tatum at the um, backup three, Morris at backup four, and then you know you really kind of interchange that way. Um, and then if Tice flies into rotation, maybe he does. Yeah, see, so this is why this is fun, because they have options out the, you know, out, out the rear end, I guess is the best way to put it, <laughs> that they can do, you know, which is, is both good and bad, right? Because it's good to have all kinds of guys who can play, but it is it does become tricky, and it puts a lot on Brad Stevens and his coaching staff to make sure that these guys are seeing minutes and are playing. Now, this is one thing where having the team in Maine helps a lot, that it's close by, because some of these guys like Zizic, Nader, Ojale, Yabaselli, who you didn't even mention, and I think you were right not to, those guys could, could slide up to Maine to get those valuable game minutes and then come back you know, and be with the Celtics when they need to. So, you know, and there's been a lot of suggestions from people, you know, start Jay Crowder at the floor and slide Al Horford up to the five and do these things. For me, this is where it is, and this is important to understand if you're a non-Celtics fan. Hopefully Celtics fans get this already. Brad Stevens categorizes players this way. Ball handlers, bigs, wings, and swings. So the swings are the guys who can do a little bit of both spots. But that's how he looks at it. He doesn't look. He doesn't talk centers, power forwards, centers, those kind of things. Now we do that because it's it's easier. We we like to slot guys in the spots. But I think what you'll see is I think you'll see Baines and Horford up front, just because I don't think they want Horford guarding the opposing fives and being your only interior defender. Um, I think Crowder keeps that small forward spot. And the big reason I I have Crowder still at the the three spot is. You run the risk if you put him on the bench that he's going to be just angry. 
Um, this is a guy who is just he, – he, he didn't like when the fans cheered for Hayward last year. Now they're teammates, which, you know, they'll, they'll work through that. That'll be fine. Um, and it's just he's such a competitive guy that you run the risk of putting him on the bench. It gets really messy. Then I do think Hayward is the other wing, and then I think Thomas is your starting point guard. Now, if he's, if he's limited at all at the beginning of the year or anything like that, um, it does not sound like he will be, um, you know, then, then you could see Smart come in. Smart's the number one guy off the bench because he's going to play anywhere from the one through three spots. You know, really, he's, he's a true swing in that sense because he can swing between ball handler and wing. Then Morris, I think, is the primary backup big, actually, for me off the bench because I think he's going to going to be, when he comes in, we talked about it before, but he'll come in for Baines, Horford slides up, Morris slides up, and then you got Morris Crowder as your kind of two forwards. Um, then I think you get into the two the two young guys that everybody's excited about, Brown and Tatum, and then I think Tice will be the guy there. Now that leaves Terry Rozier out of the mix, but mm-hmm. they're taking it slow with Thomas, then maybe Rozier slides in, some there. Brad Stevens was known the last couple of years, he might play 10, 11 guys, even 12 if he has them, which now he's got them. He might play those guys. In the first month, month and a half of the season, it might be you know around Christmas before we start to see this team settle into a real rotation because they're going to do a lot of mixing and matching and figuring out what works. And with a shorter preseason this year, they're not going to have the time to do that. They're going to have to do it there. And like I said, then you get into the Zizic, Nader, Ojale, Yabasele. Those guys, are they're going to be the deeper bench guys who they're – the, the role for them will come either later in the year or if injuries come, but they're going to be you know more practice G League um, garbage time minute development type guys. But you know hopefully that gives you a picture of Brad Stevens might have one of the you know it's a it's a good problem to have, but nonetheless it is one of the trickier problems to juggle this in the entire league. Yeah, for me I just hope that. Um, Brad Stevens doesn't do like I do and have a metal laugh and forget about a guy like <laughs> Jay Crowder in the lineup. I can't believe I, I totally forgot about Jay Crowder. Well, here's like, the good thing is I, I think if, uh, if if that happened, I think Jay Crowder would be like, what about me, coach? You know, hey, yeah. where, where do I go? You know, so so I don't, I don't think we're going to worry about that. Um, as far as what the Celtics still need, the only thing is to fill out their second two-way contract. That could go to Jabari Bird. It might not. They, they might um, decide to hold on to Bird's full draft rights and move him into the domestic draft and stash type of role rather than a two-way, or they could bring him in on a two-way. But they're not going to add much else. There's been a lot of talk. Could they get in the Kyrie Irving talks? Well, yeah, sure they could. They still have you know a bunch of picks still to come. They've got young guys. You know they could get into that. I, I personally don't think they're gonna um, there. Mm-hmm. As we get into the cap space, they, they don't have any cap space left. They have used it. They have no exceptions left. They've used the room exception on Aaron Baines. So now they're going to be functioning as an over-the-cap team. Um, I think the roster as it is constructed today, minus one more guy signed to a two-way, that's and then a couple camp bodies that will come in, probably another point guard, just so they can, can – ease Isaiah Thomas back into the flow um, and then probably a wing and maybe one more big um, but those will all just be true camp guys that are not targeted to have any shot at making the roster This is what you see is what you get and they still got to cut somebody so it's going to be you know, interesting to see how that plays out so to, to do that and to close out the show I'm going to kick it to you Pete are the Boston Celtics up or down are they better this year than they were last year they're absolutely up you don't get Gordon Hayward um, and stay down. So 
um, just the addition alone of, of Hayward and then um, having versatile guys that, um, you know, are young but can really develop for the future that you have to stay trending up. What did they win, 53 games last year, I believe? Yep. Um, that goes up this year. I think not drastic number. I'm not going to say, oh, they're 65 wins or anything like that, but I think you're going to see uh, an uptick in wins uh, for the Celtics, and, and they're going to have a successful year. So here, here's where I'm going to kind of give that that uh, counsel. I'm in agreement with you. I think they're a better team, but I think mm-hmm. they could get off to a slow start. Um, and here's my reason why. They're only bringing back six players from last year's team. Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder, Al Horford, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and Isaiah Thomas. That's it. Six guys um, from last year's team are coming back. So they're going to have nine new players on the roster, six of whom are likely to be NBA rookies that have never played in a real NBA game before. So that is where it is going to be – how do you do this? You know, how, how do you make all that work? You know, where where are we going to go, you know, from here with this? So that is going to be um, one of the things that I think that, the lineup mixing and matching, figuring things out. It wouldn't shock me if through um, 20 games, if they're like 12 and 8 or something like that, or even Interesting. You know, 10 and 10 or something like that, as they, as they just kind of figure things out. We're also, we're hopeful that Isaiah Thomas is healthy and back fully to start mm-hmm. the year, but if he's limited at all, um, that's probably the position where they have the least amount of depth on the roster is at the point guard spot, um, oddly enough, because it was a deep position the last couple of years. Um, but that's, it, it's just, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. But then I think you hit, Christmas and into the All-Star break, and all of a sudden you've got a team hitting its stride. And then when you get into that post-All-Star break, those kind of the dog days, that's where I think the depth shows up. And they should have enough to get through whatever nagging injuries are going on. Their goal is going to be to hit the playoffs healthy, rested, and really ready to go. So don't be super surprised if these guys come out of the gates slow. Now, it's funny because the last time I said this was the year they, they went out and got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and remade the entire roster. It's really only Paul Pierce and Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins left, and that team you know, proceeded to dominate and win a you know a million games right off the bat. So so I could be wrong with that. It's just a, something that's kind of been bouncing around in my head um, for a while there. So Pete, I'm going to give it to you. Anything to close out on the Celtics, as well as uh, you know, share your Twitter handle and those kind of things. Uh, well, first you can find me at Pete Toll NBA on Twitter. So that's P E T E T O A L N B A. Always love to talk basketball. So just hit me up there. Um, always a you know available to talk um, anything NBA related. Um, a little bit of college. I didn't watch as much college basketball as I wanted to uh, this past year, but um, you know love to to interact um, with the Celtics. I think um, just to kind of touch on what what you just did with the slow start. I think the weekend East is why I think that the Celtics are going to be able to to have a very good year and, and uptick in wins. I just don't feel confident as. Um, as I have in, in the past years, that, you know, we're going to have a little bit better balance in the East. It's not going to be, obviously, comparable to the West, but I think every team that, that kind of was in that, you know, 5 to, to 10 range kind of really didn't trend upward necessarily, but there are a few teams that, that did better in the East um, than they were last season. But I, I think Boston's going to be able to steamroll a few of those teams um, and, and build quick chemistry. Yeah, I do think um... – you know, even despite the 
uh, slow start spot. I do think that they still will win the East in the regular season. Um, whether mm-hmm. or not they can do that when it matters, that kind of depends depends on what the Cavs do here. You know, and I, I'm I'm not going to be the one who bets against LeBron James. At, at this point, you know, I kind of I, I need to see him not in the finals. I think before I believe that it might actually happen. But you know, this was a long one. I know we went deep, but if you get me talking Celtics, you're going to get a lot of deep stuff. Um, we have a lot more things to come. I know Pete and I are going to try to connect very soon to record and talk about the Brooklyn Nets and Charlotte Hornets next. Uh, as far as the um, the off-season reviews go, those are going to be the two teams we're going to focus as we continue through our uh, down alphabetically by city here. Um, but thank you for joining us again. If you've enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating or review. It really does help us quite a bit. If you have any feedback, you can send it to us on Twitter. You can send it to me, at KeithSmithNBA. Um, chances are, if you're listening to this, you already follow me. But if you're not following me, I would appreciate a follow on there as well. I try to answer as much as I can go back and forth with folks. My email is in my Twitter bio. I promise if you send it, I'll read it. I don't. I, I try to respond to everything as well, but any feedback is much appreciated on the show. We want to make this a show that becomes your go-to place to talk NBA transactions and moves and how rosters are built and those kind of things. That's what Pete and I both love, so that's what we want to give you here on the NBA front office show. And, you know, again, thanks for listening and tuning into us here to talk to Boston Celtics. More to come as we continue our 30-team off-season review series here on the NBA front office show, part of the Almighty Ballers. And we'll talk to you next time. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Hey, another way to save money, don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning. You know? Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying, it's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, uh, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.